I've always thought that some kid someday is uh, going to grow up and become a fantastic uh, football player, but be particularly good at special teams, be a punt returner, kickoff returner for the Hornets or the Scrappers or one of the like seven schools we have represented here. And, and they're going to go to college and go to the NFL and um, someday they're going to win a Super Bowl. Someone's going to pull them aside and said, where did you learn to run back kickoffs? And they're going to say, well, you see at my church. After offering, we had a bucket up here and a class back there. And I had to learn to run, sprint, no, sprint a good distance without getting destroyed. There's several kids who get up here first and like, first, and then they're just, there they go. But maybe that's just me. Um, David uh, did a fantastic, I'm going to say this because he's not here. You don't compliment people to their face, that's rude. But David did a fantastic job leading us intellectually through the, uh, about what, how you, uh, what Jesus did, what we believe, how we surrender, how he just did a fantastic job doing that. Um, he is teaching children's church. So at the end of the song, we're going to stand and sing, and then I'm just going to sing the song, and we're all going to sing it together. We're going to get through this. Um, if someone comes forward, we have backups to come up here and stand and make sure you don't sing forever. Um, but we can do it. Uh, we can do it. Make sure. I don't, if, if you're like me, and maybe you're not like me, um, but when I was reading the story this week, um, I'm very thankful for the, those who put the story together, those who, um, uh, Max Licato, Randy Frazee, and all, the, all their teams, um, who, who went into the Bible and said, what, what is the big story that's happening? What's the big narrative, big arc? And we can look at these small stories that happen within the larger story. And they, they pull all of it together so that we can see it, because sometimes the Bible takes breaks. Sometimes you'll be reading a story about David, and then there's a two-chapter break about all of his kids. This guy begat this guy begat this guy. And sometimes there's, a, there's whole books where it's, it's laws about what to do with mildew on your wall. What if you get a splotchy, bald head? That's a, that's a, well, there's laws for that in the Old Testament. Whether or not you can eat a locust or a grasshopper, um, it's all there. And so to, sometimes the story can take breaks and you, you hear important things, but if you want to know the full story, sometimes it's best to kind of pull back and look at it. And they have organized it very well for 26 chapters. And then chapter 27 came. And I knew it was coming, but chapter 27 is the resurrection. And there are four accounts of the resurrection in our Bible. There's one in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the account of the resurrection that makes the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John gospels. People say that's the gospel, the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark. That's good news. Gospel just means good news, and the good news is that Jesus is alive. The only way it can be a gospel is if there's resurrection at the end. But the four accounts are interesting and unique in their own way. And when you 
compile those four accounts and put them into one story. Maybe some of you read this week's chapter and thought, wait, what was it? What actually happened? If you don't know, I have a simple little illustration for you. This might help. Um, these are, uh, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just in case you don't, can't recognize a cartoon apostle. They're in order, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to quiz them. Uh, I worked really hard on this, and it's not going to turn out well. So if, if you're just wandering into the story and you want to know facts about the resurrection, how many women, the, the morning of the resurrection, how many women went to the tomb? Four different answers. Matthew says it's two. Mark says three. Luke says, he lists some and then says, and many others. And John just has Mary Magdalene. Of course, they, you know, Mary Magdalene, mother of James. Salome. Mark's just making up names at that point. Don't forget Joanna and the other women. She started a fabric shop after that. Just Mary Magdalene. Like, they, they have these four stories, and the details are off. Was the tomb rolled away when they arrived, everyone together? No. And then the rest say yes. Matthew was certain, no. Now, what's crazy is Matthew wrote after Mark. Mark wrote the gospel first. My opinion, I don't know. But my opinion is Mark wrote first, Matthew, Luke, and then John later. But he changed it. Why is it different? Did Mary recognize Jesus? This is easy. This is a yes or no question. Did Mary recognize Jesus? Two say no, one say yes, one doesn't even mention it. Now why would... No, this is this is just the re this is just like one little section of the resurrection story. I mean, was the temp was the veil torn before or after Jesus' death? They disagree on that. There's several times when comparing the gospels, and you can kind of go in and read the gospel, and it'll say this story is also told. You know, if you're reading Luke, it'll say this story is also told in Mark chapter this and Matthew chapter this. Go read those stories, and the wording is different. This is not what your preacher should be telling you. But it's something that's there, it's real. And it makes sense. How many of you have, uh, well, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because that might be indicting. But Rachel has always been befuddled, right? My Rachel has always been befuddled by um, wives who, while their husband is telling the story, corrects every stinking detail along the way. She's just like, just let them tell the story. It doesn't matter. And you're probably wrong about half those details anyway. She doesn't rant about any of you. But it's always been a thing. Like, It's always been funny because she's ranting about that, but when she does it to me, I'm like, mm-hmm. But details of the story go away. That's how telling stories work. So you've got to make up new and more interesting details. And your wife is like, no, that's not how it happened. 
Well, no one knows. You know they've done studies about uh, flashpoint events. They've taken, uh, they've taken big moments in people's lives, uh, usually after a, a big moment in a nation like the, uh, like the assassination of John F. John F. Kennedy, um, Robert Kennedy, um, after the assassination of Martin Luther King, after September 11th, after Hurricane Katrina, they have all, the, the sociologists have gone out in droves, and the biggest one was after September 11th. Sociologists go out and they ask people questions. And they say, they say, where were you? How did you feel? What, were you, what was it like? And everyone says, I will always be able to tell you where I was, what I was feeling, who I was with, September 11th. And about 60% of the stories change within the first year. After the first year, they kind of stay the same. But most of the forgetting is done after the first year. Have you ever had a memory where you thought, do I remember this? Or have my parents just told me that story so often that I've pictured it? I don't know. There is a weird thing. It's compounded by the fact that we think it's like a video recorder. And there's just video files. But you're a fantastic video editor. I, uh, Rachel and I, when we lived in Texas, would always come up to Oklahoma for a church camp in Oklahoma. Uh, and Mountain Fort Christian Camp, we'd come up every year. Even for the five years we were in Texas, we would still come up. And right after Clara was born, mom and dad watched her. Um, and no, mom and dad watched her, and Rachel helped, and I don't remember the details. But I remember on the way home, Friday night we stayed with mom and dad, Saturday night we traveled back to Texas. Stayed in Queen, and then we were traveling back to Teague. And on the we were in Foreman, and Clara went full exorcist in our car just I just threw up everywhere (laughs) we just started the trip the trip's five hours okay we pull over I don't know what happened but I know for no reason at all I took off my shirt side of the road got to the back of the car i was like we were like okay we need we have we have clothes in here let's see if which ones are clean and which ones are and i was i just took off my shirt and rachel was like why is your shirt off i said i don't know and i put it back on now if i were telling you that story and i remember that because i did something so peculiar so strange She's like, what? I was like, I guess I thought I was, I I don't know. I remember that story. But like, if I were telling you that story, and I said, and we were about informing. And then Rachel stopped and said, no, I think we were closer to tech, like closer to New Boston. Would you at that point then go, the whole thing's off. The reason a lot of the little details in flashpoint memories go away is because the bulb on the flash is so strong. The side, like you're piecing it together. But what's crazy is that whenever people are are fuzzy on the details but certain about the main point, 
it's almost positive that the main point happened. If you went to someone who lived in New York City on September 11, 2001, and you asked them, who were you with? Where were you? What did you, like, what did you feel? And they told you something that was just a little skewed. And most people did. They, they asked them, where were you? Who were you with? Um, How did you find out? They asked them a bunch of different questions. Ten months later, they always did it right before the, a month before the anniversary so that the memories weren't like, like presenting new memories. But ten months later, they, they asked these people again and they told them something different. And then in ten years, they asked them again and they told them something different. And they said, they, they said no, you know what you told us on the first time was this. And those people would say, oh, no, 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 that did not happen. I know for sure that didn't happen, and I wouldn't have said that. So but that's what you said. If at that point the researcher said, you must be lying, and I doubt the planes ever hit the building. But this, this whole mess, is the is one of the predominant reasons people distrust the gospel story. For me, it's a reason I trust it. All four gospel writers saying, something happened. Something fantastic happened. And then like the details at times being different makes me go, well, yeah, something must have happened. Everyone who's ever done police work can tell you that whenever there's a car accident, there are differing stories. And that actually, what would have been really suspicious is if you would have showed up and each story was the same word for word. You're like, oh, well, hold on one second. These guys have planned something. You know what's nuts? Is that they even mentioned the women at all. The fact that they even, in the resurrection story, the first part of the telling was the women saw him. Because women's testimony couldn't even be trusted in court in those days. If you were a woman and you witnessed a crime, they wouldn't believe you. But the gospel writers knew that something happened. And it changed their life. And we get in and we fidget with the details. And we, and we, we fuss over the indiscrepancies. But the indiscrepancies aren't disproof. To me, they're proof. The fact that they led with the most unreliable witnesses. The fact that the, that the writers are, are flawed. There's times in Mark's gospel which... Um, Scholars believe that Peter helped Mark write his gospel. Like Mark wrote it, Peter, but it was based off of Peter's stories, Peter's telling. And there's times, and you can kind of you can see it at times because, uh, like at, in Mark, they it tells a story about uh, the this not the ascension the, when they're on the mountain and Moses and Elijah and the transfiguration. They all show up, 
And Peter says, hey, this is good. We've got, let's make three tents. A tent for each of you. And then in parentheses it says, he said this because he didn't know what to say. And you can imagine Peter talking to Mark about it and, being, and saying, yeah, and I told him to build three tents. And Mark looks at him and says, why would you say that? I didn't know what to say. Tell them that. You can, there's some very human parts of Mark, and you can see interactions with Peter, and they're all, they're, they're not, the, the people writing them aren't painting themselves as good people. They're not lifting themselves up, they're lifting Jesus up. And so what the resurrection does for us is, yeah, we can like quibble about like people, I, I've heard endless arguments about whether or not Jesus was crucified on Thursday or Friday. No one cares. Is the tomb empty? Something happened. Something happened to them that, that pushed them to the ends of the earth. Peter was crucified upside down for Jesus. Thomas, um, Thomas died for Jesus at, at, a, at a gate of Hierapolis. All of them, all of them died for the belief that Jesus is alive. That Jesus was king because he resurrected. Every single one of them went out into the world into places that were dangerous and knew they were dangerous and they went out and did things that they knew were dangerous because Jesus resurrected. Because they saw Jesus alive. Because when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome, Salome, Salami, Salome, bought spices so that, they, so that they might go and anoint him. They thought he was dead. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone? For us from the entrance of the tomb. Have you ever gotten halfway to the thing that you were supposed to do and realized you're not prepared to do the thing you're supposed to do? All the time. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. Tomb's empty. They were confused, but something happened. Something changed. And it's from the resurrection that we are that we are pushed out and asked to change. Christianity cannot be attempted in a bullet list. It can't be attempted in to-dos. It can't be attempted in, um, in, ju in just a set of practices where I do this thing and then I do this thing and then on Wednesday nights I do this thing. And it's not. You can do all those things. But unless you've stood at the empty tomb, 
No, he's not here. To know that he is gone. Unless you've experienced that, unless you know, like in your bones, something happened. What's beautiful about Christianity is whenever you are driven by the resurrection, driven by following the king, then people will look at you and they might not be able to put their finger on it. They might not be able to write it out in a list or um, you know, give pluses and minus of your life before and after the resurrection, but they will know. They may be fuzzy on the details, but they will know something has happened to you. They might not be able to explain it perfectly and know exactly what the blood of Jesus does and what baptism is for or what the, what, the, um, what, what, what the resurrection means or what the ascension means. or They might not be able to tell you word for word what Jesus' final prayer was and it's different in most of the Gospels. But they're going to know something happened. That's what's important. They're going to know that something happened to made, that made you decide, I, I've got to change the way I speak to people who are less valuable by society than me. Less valued by society than me. I've got to change the way I talk about people. I've got to let my conversation be seasoned with grace. They got to know that something happened. Can people look at your life and know that something happened? They're not going to know the details, but can they look at your life and say, something happened right there? The resurrection changed them. They walked away from the empty tomb forever to be changed. The details are fuzzy, but something happened. So we come, we come to God not in, with, with list in hand. Saying, what's, what's next? What shall I do? But we come to God just humbly saying, I, something has happened and I, I want to follow. Something has happened and I want to change. Something has happened and I need a king. A king that is good, who conquered death. So when we read, when we read the Bible... We are getting, it's, it's crazy. The details are pretty specific and pretty lined up and you can kind of see some small things in the rest of the gospel. But when they get to the resurrection, they're all just grasping for details. Like, I, it was crazy. It's crazy. The story of, that they talked about in, in, uh, in the marriage class this morning about the men on the road to Emmaus They got the details on the road. Jesus came and opened the scriptures to them and said, hey, this is, this is uh, your, this, this is what the, uh, the Messiah was supposed to do. This is how we know that Jesus was the Messiah. This is what the Old Testament talks about the Messiah. He was supposed to suffer and then he would raise again. And they, they said later, their hearts were on fire on the way, but it didn't move them until something happened. Details 
and facts won't move you. Events will. And the resurrection isn't, I believe it's a fact, but it's not just a fact. It's an event. An event that will change human history, an event that will change you all the way through to your core. So people will look at you and look at the cross and look at the empty tomb and look at the throne of the king and know for a fact, know beyond a shadow of the doubt that something has happened in you. And it's worth checking out. Like Paul and John, not Paul, Peter and John, who when the women come and tell them, they sprint to the tomb. And you know, and if, if the Gospels were trying to convince me, if they were putting on a charade, the, the disciples would have looked in the tomb and understood completely. But they looked in this tomb and were confused still. Because it's a big event. Something happened. If something needs to happen for you this morning, something life-altering needs to occur, and you need your church, you need the kingdom of God, you need the king to make that happen. And I can guarantee you, you need those things. Please come forward while we stand and sing.